Your shirt's fun. Thanks. I'm Do you want me to pray for you? Yeah, that'd be wicked, yeah? eh? That'd be good. Yeah. Just make the kiddos. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you that we can come together, have fun, have a little laugh, um, and also learn heaps more about you. Um, I just pray that you um, really speak through Craig today as he shares about Esther um, and the crazy story that Esther <laughs> lived. Um, yeah, I just pray that we really walk away from here um, feeling your love, feeling like we learned something new about you, um, and that we can take that into our week. Amen. Amen. Cool. here, Morgan. Cool. Hey, it's everyone. Stand up, eh? Bit of audience participation to start. Jacob's just like, yes, audience participation. My favourite reason to come to church, eh? Hey, um, the, the part of Esther we're in today is, is kind of wild. It starts off like you're like, yeah, God is amazing. God, God, God. And then the next minute you're like, what, did he just like go on vacation? Or like Elijah, remember Elijah said when the with all the prophets on Mount Carmel, he's like, has God like really gone to the bathroom? If you, you remember that bit? It's good. I like, it's one of my favorite bits. It feels like God's like ditched them and everything's turning to custard. And it's like, it's not just turning to custard. It's like, it's turning to custard, custard. It's like, not just bad, but like, oh my gosh, we're all about to just be annihilated. It's ridiculous. So, but then you turn the page and you're like, oh, God had a cunning plan. So cunning, he was hiding it, you know. So go to a couple of people around you and you can walk around Robert if you want to. You like, you don't have to just turn to people around you. But just say to them, just say to a few people around you, God has got you more than you know. Okay, God has got you more than you know. Is that okay? So go to a few people, God has got you more than you know. Shot team. Alrighty. And Noho, have a seat. Have a seat. I don't know how to say have a seat in Spanish, sorry. Good to see you, eh? Cool. Buenos uh, dias. Good to see you, eh? Good to see you. Morena, good to see the rest of you too. Um, where's Dan? Dan? I can do Swadikrap. Is that all right, bro? It's the extent of my tie. I'm done. All right, Marlo. All right. Hey, Esther. Hey, um, so we're um, cruising through Esther. Uh, as you know, if you didn't get a bookmark, TJC Day, um, we just made, Tina made these cool little bookmarks where you can kind of just track along and read a couple of chapters. It's real easy. Like, we're going to read the whole of chapter three today. It, I timed it. It takes two minutes and 30 seconds, right? So um, you can um, do a little bit of a reading each day. I'm loving reading the story again and again because every time you read it again, you're like, Oh my gosh, where did that verse come from? How did I miss that last time? It's real good. Hey, and a bit of a clarification um, to say, just so I don't get in too much trouble. Um, So I love studying the Bible. Who loves studying the Bible? Some of you. Yeah, some of you are like, nah. In which case, I don't know why you're at church, but that's all good. Um, And I love love, um, wrestling with things that I don't understand. And so Wendy, who I love heaps, is really good at studying the Bible and wrestling and knows the Bible very well. It's a bit terrifying. And so one of the things that Wendy and I do, we text a lot, right? We're like real cool texting buddies. And we text a lot. And, and Wendy's really good at thinking outside my box, which is really helpful. And so this week, Wendy and I text a lot about um, how I talked last week about how I said, and remember I read this in a whole bunch of commentaries, how Esther and Mordecai are living outside the blessing of God because they're being really disobedient before God because God's made it really clear now that they should have returned with all the Jewish exiles, and that Esther and Mordecai have said to God, no, we are not returning, and therefore they're refusing to obey God, and I talked about that. 
So when you know we're texting a lot in the end this week, sometimes we text about Chico, the coolest dog, and her dog, and all sorts of random things that we were being very spiritual. And Wendy sent, said a cool thing. She said, if Esther was really young at this point, is it fair to kind of say, hey, she should have returned? Because she's really young. She could be still under that, um, the, the authority, under the whatever you want to say of Mordecai, and so it could have been impossible for her to return, which I thought was a really good point. So I thought it's up to you to figure out um, where you stand on that. I still think God holds us accountable for our own actions. And so I still think Esther should have figured out a way to return because um, that was that strong call of God. But I thought it was a real good point of Wendy. So we had a, a big text around it. So I'm just going to clarify because I talked quite a bit about that last week. So that's all good. Hey, so let's, um, we're going to read a little bit of Esther. Um, we're going to read the end of chapter two. So we did um, chapter one and chapter beginning of chapter two last week, and we ended with Esther becoming the queen, and it was all exciting and awesome. And so now we're going to read uh, just this end part of chapter two. And I gave it this little heading, um, where, what did I say? Why are you where you are, right? Why are you where you are? So let me read this bit. And there's a guy whose name in here is the coolest name I've ever read, and every time I read it, I die laughing, so I'll try not to die laughing. Okay, so verse 21 of Esther, chapter 2. One day as Mordecai was on duty, at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Big Thana, how cool is that name, right? I'm seriously thinking of changing my name to like just Big Craig or something cool, but Big Thana just has this like, yo, what's up? What's your name? Big Thana. I'm like, oh man, I love it. Anyway, Big Thana and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes, and they plotted to assassinate him. Dun, dun, dun. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation was made, Mordecai's story was found to be true. The two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. Oh. <laughs> um, I just, that's just nasty. Uh, this is all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. So a pretty exciting little section. Like, this is one of the things I love about the book of Esther. There's so much um, fantastic stuff going on there. It's just like, oh my gosh. Um, let me kind of explain some bits and pieces that, that we might miss. Um, first of all, the, these two guys with the cool names, Big Thana and Teresh, um, they're guards at the, the door of the king. So the way it worked... Um, He's in the fortress at Susa, which is like a pretty grunty castle, and there'd be a lot of army and so on. So I remember his um, Xerxes at this time uh, has, is ruling from India to Ethiopia, so massive area. So his army would just be ginormous. Um, but then as you get deeper into the castle, there's more and more guards, more and more guards, and then the last line of defense, and in the research I did, they said they'd probably be the, the highest um, trained, the most highly trained would be the guys that are right outside guarding the the king's door, right? So they're outside his bedroom. So that's who these two guys are. Um, and they plan to assassinate uh, the king. And so I did a bit of research, and I was like, is that common? Was this really rare? And it's real, real common. And so if you remember the story of David and Saul, there's people plotting to take David out all the time, right? And when you look at um, the ancient Near East, people were always plotting to um, assassinate kings and so on. And uh, so this time, this happened, and I talked a lot about um, the timing of this last week. So this is happening around 483, 482 BC, okay, and Xerxes is the king. And in the research, I found out that he was actually um, assassinated in 465 BC. So about 18 years after this, he's assassinated, and he's assassinated in his bedroom. <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh. so, so when you read it, one of the things I love about the Bible is there's so much stuff in the Bible that we can go and read 
like extra biblical stuff and go, oh, it's exactly right, it's exactly right, I just love that. So it's a real, a real common thing, and in the end he is assassinated, um, which is sad, but whatever. Um, another thing that I found real interesting is it says, um, one day as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, and when I, I've read that in the past, and I've always thought, so you read a lot of this in the Old Testament where in the, the small towns and villages, a lot of commerce and a lot of trade and stuff was done at the gate. And so a lot of them didn't have like a, a place where you did all your trade and selling and buying and stuff. And so they used to set up right at the gate because that's where the merchants would be able to come in. And so I thought that's what it was talking about. But in my research, it was like, no, this is a giant, massive city with thousands and thousands of people. And so the King's Gate is actually a huge administration building. And so there would have been a couple of thousand people at the minimum working in the King's Gate. And that's where Mordecai is, right? So Mordecai's slowly moving up um, the chain. So that's where, where he is when it says he's in the, the King's Gate. And then the last bit, which is super nasty, is the impaling on a sharpened pole. Um, and I was like, I, yeah, that's just nasty. So what this is, is um, in Persia at this time, they would normally, but not always, kill the person before they did that, which is, I'm like, oh, that makes me feel a whole bunch better, because that happening while you're alive is just super nasty. Um, and this is their version of crucifixion, right, if that makes sense. So crucifixion um, was invented by uh, Egypt um, about a thousand years or so before this, and they would crucify the people alive, as we know, but for the Persians, they'd often not always kill them first and then stick them on a pole uh, to rot, and they'd just leave them there. And the idea was the person was being shamed, humiliated, and all that, but the whole message is that if you want to mess with this kingdom, then this is what's going to happen to you, right? We'll stick you on a pole and you'll rot away, which is kind of like pretty nasty, I think. Um, one of the things that keeps coming out to me, and I talked a bit about this last week, is this whole hand of God, right? The hand of God. And when I was reading one of the um, books I was reading, the guy just went really hard out talking about how this is so clearly the hand of God. And so I chucked up um, a few notes about it, that to me are like just not a coincidence, right? Um, the hand of God here. Mordecai just happens to be on duty this day. Mordecai just happens to overhear the plot. The king just happens to not reward Mordecai, which is culturally bizarre. So let me explain these a little bit. Um, the first one's kind of obvious, right? He just happens to be on duty. Um, second thing is that he just happens to overhear the plot. So who's watched movies in their life? Anyone? few of you, some of you lied because you didn't put your hand up, that's all good. Um, when I've watched movies, if there's ever like an assassination thing, it's kept super secret, right? You with me? You don't go wandering around being like, especially when you're the last line of defense for the king and you're a highly trained guy, you don't go wandering around just being like, hey, Tuesday at seven, we're thinking we might just knock off the king, anyone want to be there, we're going to sell popcorn. It's like the most secret thing in the world, right? You with me, hey? Remember, too, these guys are really highly trained, possibly the most highly trained in the army. So they are real smart. They're not just like idiots. So, so here's my question. How the heck did Mordecai, in this big building with these thousands of people, just happen to overhear it? And I'm like, that's the hand of God, man. This is God positioning Mordecai. Why was Mordecai in the king's gate? To do administration? No. God has him there because God wants to use him, right? God's positioning him to, to bless Mordecai, but to bless the people around him, to, to use him. I love that. You could say, oh, it's just a coincidence. And I'm like, nah, I'll argue with you. It's, it's the hand of God. Um, the next little point I put up there, the king just happens to not reward Mordecai. I just found this really interesting. Um, again, Xerxes is the king of the entire known world at this time, right? This is massive. India to Ethiopia. He is the pinnacle of importance, Right? For the man that saves his life, normally, culturally, the reward is just 
ridiculous blessing, right? Just off the charts. And so for Mordecai to receive no blessing, no reward, no honor, no nothing is just bizarre, absolutely bizarre. And some of the authors I read were just like, that it got overlooked is just impossible. There is no way, because he saved the life of the king. They did an investigation. They found, and so they're like, again, they're like, it's the hand of God. He's setting Mordecai out. Because if you haven't read the story, and sorry to let cats out of bags, um, in a few chapters, um, Mordecai does get um, honored. He does get rewarded. And when he does, the king finds out, and the king's quite ticked. How did we overlook this, right? And again, you could go, oh, it was just coincidence. It's going to end. It's like, nah. There's no way, man. This is the clear hand of, of God on Mordecai. Um, I just love that, eh? One of the things that, that I work a little bit hard, not amazingly, but I try and work hard at in my life, is, is looking for God's hand of blessing in my life. Does it make sense, eh? I think as humans we can, we're, we're not intentionally arrogant, I think, but sometimes we are. And sometimes good things will happen and we'll just put it down to our own awesomeness, right? We'll just be like, oh, that was just me being amazing. Um, or we'll be like, oh, it's just coincidence. Man, what a surprise that such and such just happened. And one of the things I do, and I probably err, you could say too much on the side of giving God credit for stuff, um, good stuff that happens to me, but my argument is last time I checked, he loves me. I don't know why, because I'm a bit of a dropkick, but he does. He loves me. He thinks I'm awesome. I'm his child. Um, so he wants to bless me. He wants to bring good into my life. He wants to do amazing things for me, to me. So when something amazing happens, why would I default to think, oh, yeah, check out my amazing skills <laughs> or coincidence instead of going, oh, my gosh, the hand of God. My, my father's got me. My God's got me, right? So I want to be real intentional about that. And I do it to the crazy, like I said. So if I drive here to work and I get all green lights, I'm getting out of my car just going, man, thank you, Jesus. That's and You could have given me all red lights. but you, And you might go, bro, it's just coincidence. And I'm like, oh. Good luck with that, like blessing your life. Or I'm over here going, God's got me, God loves me, right? Um, Joseph and I do it all the time. We have kind of a little, not a game, because it's kind of cool, where we just keep looking for the blessing of God in our lives. And heaps of times it's real tiny things, but one of us will turn to the other one and be like, ooh, blessing of God. And it's kind of like, yeah, we want to live in that positive thing. So crazy story that happened this week. And again, you could go, coincidence, and then I'll go over this side. Blessing of God, woo! Okay, so I thought this was a cool one. So we moved um, the last couple of days, which was just awesome. Um, and it was meant to rain both days, right? When, at the, earlier in the week, it was meant to rain, and we're like, oh my gosh, we prayed, and God's like, got it, perfect weather, thank you, Jesus. But that's not the amazing thing. Then we'd organized some trailers, so we needed covered trailers, because moving in the rain is like the worst thing, not the worst thing, but it's bad. Um, and without covered trailers, it'd be disastrous. And so um, we moved a little bit on Thursday and Friday. And on Thursday morning, I think it was, someone texted to say, who had a trailer, who said, oh, the trailer's off, out of commission. You can't have the trailer anymore. We were like, ah, we've organized one. We need another one. Ah, what's going to happen? Honestly, within minutes, someone, and I haven't asked for their permission, so I won't say who it is. Someone in the church just randomly texts me and goes, hey, I've got a giant van, and you're moving tomorrow. Would you like to borrow our giant, which is a giant van, to move? And I was like... Again, I could go coincidence, or I can go, man, God loves me, man. <laughs> How crazy. And this is the, and I, I love this. This made me very excited. I was like, my friend over here, who still was going to help us move, is like, we don't have a trailer. God was aware of that. God then talks to my other friend in this church and says, oh, hey, you've got a van. Do you reckon you could, why, you could loan it to Craig? And that person then listens to God, and they could have gone, nah. 
Craig Smelly, he'll like, smell up my van. You know what I mean? But they're like, no, I'll be obedient to God. Sure, Craig, do you need the van? And then Jason and I go, oh, man, God's got us, you know? God's got us. Um, when I look through the book of Esther, that's how I want to read it. I want to read it looking for the hand of God, right? And I think we miss that blessing of God. We miss that hand of God sometimes because we're not intentionally going, he's got me, right? He loves me. He thinks I'm awesome. Whether you think you're awesome or not, irrelevant. He thinks you're awesome. He loves you like crazy. He wants to bring this, these little blessings and these giant blessings and stuff into our lives. I love it. Um, Mordecai could have been in the, in the King's Gate, you know, this administration building, just being ticked. <laughs> what the heck am I doing here, man? My daughter, because remember he's adopted Esther, my daughter is the queen. I should be retired and living on a beach, drinking mojitos. I have no idea what a mojito is, but drinking whatever that is. Um, you know what I mean? Instead, I'm in this stupid thing, administration papers and flowers. I should be retired and sitting on my deck in a rocking chair, drinking coffee. You know, why am I? But he's, he's not, right? He's exactly where God wants him to be, right? Um, God's position, positioning him for some blessing for himself, but he's also positioning Mordecai to bless an entire nation of people, right? I just love that, eh? Um, I wonder how often we miss the blessing of God because we're frustrated with where we are. Um, we're frustrated with where we are. We're, we're struggling where we are. And, and we go through hard stuff. I'm not negating the hard stuff. Instead of, and I think this is a very hard question to ask when you're in a real hard place, instead of going, why does God have me here? Why does God have me in this position? Why does he have me in this situation? And I, I chuck this up on the screen. Is there an area of your life where you're calling out to God saying, why here? Why am I in this job, this team, this class, this group, this whatever? Why am I here? Uh, maybe it's because God really wants you there, right? Why are you living in the house you're in? Um, you could say coincidence or you could say, wow, God's put me here because he wants me to be a blessing in this community, right? Man, I need to look for that, right? Why are you in that class at uni? Why are you in that job? Why are you in that? I think God positions us to bless us, but often he's put us in these situations to bless the people around us. And it's not about us at all. And we're going through a hard time. We're like, where is God? And he's like, man, look at the people around you. I think one of the things I find really hard, to be honest, in Christianity is that often God will never reveal the reason. We just don't know, right? We are his servants. He is our God. He's not just our mate or our buddy. Here's our God, and we are, we are servants of the creator of the universe. And so sometimes he puts us into a situation that's just like, why? And he's like, I don't need to tell you. <laughs> uh, maybe in the new heavens and the new earth, we'll find out. I don't know. Um, but for now, he's like, man, I've, I've got you in that place, right? I need, to, I need to see that. Hey, the worship team's going to come up now, and we're going to just sing in the middle. Just a, I just felt it was a good time to reflect, right? So as we sing, feel free to sing and worship, obviously, and that, but maybe some of you need to just take some time and think, man, why am I wherever you are? Why am I in this struggle? Why do I live? Why do I work? Why do I uni? Why do I whatever? What's God doing there? Cool, and then I'm just coming back for a little part two of the sermon in a minute. Thanks, team. Cool, have a seat, have a seat. Okay, turn to someone beside you and say, boo, Haman is a jerk. Is that okay? Boo, Haman is a jerk. Is that okay?
Alrighty. Sorry, worship team, that's like the worst transition out of a beautiful song ever. Turn to someone and go boo, but hey, Jesus loves me. I'm okay. Hey, so we're going to read, um, we're going to read chapter three, eh? The whole of chapter three. What is this madness? It's like we think the Bible's cool at this church. It's good. I love chapter three. Um, as we read this, I want you to try and imagine, if you can, um, you're a Jew uh, who's reading this story. And Mordecai, who's kind of the hero, has just saved the life of the king. And you'd expect to turn the page and be like, he's getting celebrated, honoured, but the complete opposite happens, right? So let me read this. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha, uh, the Agagite, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by. For so the king had commanded, but Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but still he refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct, since Mordecai had told them he was a Jew. Real interesting comment, right? Verse 5, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. <laughs> he had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. I'm like, what the heck? Just because one guy won't bow down, he's like, that's it, I will destroy your entire nation. <laughs> it's like, this guy needs serious counseling or Jesus or something. Verse 7, so in the month of April, during the 12th year of King Xerxes' reign, lots were cast in Haman's presence. The lots were called Purim, to determine the best day and month to take action. And the day selected was March 7, nearly a year later. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, There is a certain race of people scattered throughout all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it so he's totally lying, right? If it please the king, issue a decree that they will be destroyed, and I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said, the money and the people are yours to do with as you see fit. So on April 17th, the king's secretaries were summoned, and a decree was written exactly as Haman dictated. It was sent to the king's highest officers, the governors of the respective provinces, and the nobles of each province in their own scripts and languages. The decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated, hideous, eh, on a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7th of the next year. The property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them. A copy of this decree was to be issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all the people so they would be ready to do their duty on the appointed day. At the king's command, the decree went out by swift messengers, and it was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. And I love this last bit. 
Then the king and Haman sat down to drink. <laughs> but the city of Susa fell into confusion. Oh my gosh. Um, pretty full on chapter. Hey, so a couple of little comments about what's going on here. Um, first of all, because of the dating uh, right at the beginning, so remember there's a bit of dating through this so we know what's happening. Um, when, we know when this is in Xerxes' reign, so we know now it's been five years' time. So five years since Esther became queen, um, five years since Mordecai's been uh, in the, the king's gate, so um, kind of in there um, administrating stuff. Um, like I said before, one of the things you've got to notice as you read this is that chapter two is just looking like, yeah, the hand of God, this is so exciting. Woo, Mordecai saved the king, it's going to be amazing. And then the next thing you turn the page and you're like, what? And it's like I said at the beginning, it's not just like it's bad, like he misses out. It's like the mortal enemy of the Jews is now the number two in the nation. Do you notice that, eh? So now you've got Xerxes and then you have Haman who just hates the Jews. He wants to annihilate them. And he's now number two, so there's no way Mordecai can fight this at all. This is totally, there's no one he can go to to say, oh, hey, because see the Haman or Xerxes and that together. So it's just pretty disastrous, right? Um, so not only does he, he not get blessed, it's like it's a, a negative blessing because he's about to be destroyed and everyone's about to be t- like wiped out. Um, one of the things I found interesting in, in reading it is that Mordecai, um, uh, Haman just totally lies to the king. Um, so let me find the bit. Where is it down here? He approached uh, King Xerxes, and he says all this stuff, and then he, he talks in here and he goes, they refuse to obey the laws of the king. And then he tells the king what should happen. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. There's been no proof that they are not obeying the laws of the king. The only person is Mordecai, right? Mordecai is disobeying the king's um, decree to bow, uh, but everyone else could be living fine. But his, his anger and his like, hatred is just so massive. It's just like, who is this guy? Um, I loved how much money he offers. So down in verse 9, If it please the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed, and I give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators. Um, this is just a ridiculous amount, right? So remember how big the empire is, India to Ethiopia, just a massive, massive empire. And 10,000 sacks would equal two-thirds of the income for the entire nation for one year. So two-thirds for the whole year. So Haman's basically saying, I will give you billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars to allow me to annihilate all these people, right? So one of the things I thought was, well, where does he get the money? Is he just super rich? What's going on? And the answer, which I thought was kind of terrifying, is that um, at the end of the, the decree, it says, in, at the end of, where are we, verse 13, uh, this was scheduled to happen on March 7th of the next year, and the property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them. And so when I was reading it, they were saying that the way that Haman's going to get all this money will be because he's going to be the main person killing lots of Jews, taking their possessions, their property, and that's where he's getting all this horrible money from. I was like, man, this guy's just like... Evil and evil and evil. I think one of the saddest things I noticed in the chapter is that Xerxes just doesn't care. Did you notice that? That Haman comes and says, hey, we need to wipe out this entire nation of people. And Xerxes is just like, I don't care. Go go crazy. And he has this statement in here which is really nuts. So verse 11, the king said, the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. And I just find this just so horrible. He doesn't want the money. He's like, yeah, take the money. I don't care about the money because he's super rich, right? But even the people, he just doesn't care less. And then at the end of the chapter, they'll just sit down to get drunk again. And it's just like, man, this is just nuts. So this whole chapter, so you have chapter two, it finishes, and you're like, yeah, Mordecai, hand of God, this is so exciting. And then you turn the page and you get into chapter three, and you're just like, what the heck is going on? What is God doing here? Or where has God gone, right? I gave this little chapter, the, the, that little heading there. 
God is good. He's weird, <laughs> meaning it's not what we expect. He's surprising, but he is really good. Um, but when you read chapter 3, it's like, man, I just don't know if I can see that. Mordecai should be honored, but nothing. Haman now is like the second most powerful person in the whole nation, and he just hates the, the Jewish nation. This is just kind of crazy. Um, I had this revelation when I was reading this this week that got me really excited, and, and this was it here. I think sometimes in my life I'm in chapter 3, but I'm wishing I was in chapter 10, the end of the story. Does it make sense? And sometimes I, sometimes I realize, or I need to realize more and more that often in my life I'm still in the middle of the story, in the middle of a season, in the middle of my life. I'm in the middle of the story. God is still working. God is still blessing. God has still got me. But I'm being frustrated because I wish I was at chapter 10, which is the end of Esther. I wish I was at the end of my story. And again and again, I think I need to realize that when bad stuff's happening, when I'm struggling, when things are just not making sense, when the, the weird is happening, I need to realize, man, I'm in chapter 3. I'm in chapter 3. And I was thinking about it. I haven't said this to Joe yet, but I was thinking, I think that's something I'm going to say to Joe a lot now in our relationship. When bad things are happening, I'm going to say, it's chapter 3. We just need to hold on. <laughs> man, we had a chapter 2, and it was all looking really great. But man, we're in chapter 3 now of Esther. Everything's hitting the fan, and it's all looking crazy. But chapter 10 is coming, right? Chapter 9 is coming. Chapter 8 is coming. The blessing of God is coming. He hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't left us. Um, I love this verse from Romans. You guys know this verse real well. Um, Romans 8, 28 and 29. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and accord according to his purpose for them. But then he defines what he means by good, and this is the beginning of verse 29. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. I think sometimes we misunderstand this verse, and we just read the first part. We know that God causes everything to work, to good, um, to work together for good for those who love God. And we, we define good then by stuff and possessions and blessing and smoothness, and everything's easy and great. And then when that doesn't happen, it's like, well, hang on, where the heck is God? I, I read this verse, and it said, God will make everything work out for my good. So that's totally not what he's saying, right? You carry on reading it, and he defines what he means by good. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. That The number one thing God wants for you is not your good in, in our definition of good. We've got a big bank account and a flash house and a nice car and a cool job, and our kids are all doing what they should. And da, da, da. That's not God's definition of good, right? God's definition of good is simply that we become more like Jesus Christ, right? That we understand more and more how much God loves us and cares for us. Um, to me, that's the, the core of what it means to be a Christian. Is like, yeah, I want blessing. I want God to, to watch out for me. And I think he does a lot. But the core of what it means for me to be a Christian is to be coming more like Jesus, right? To be in the Word, to be listening to good worship, to be striving to come more like Jesus. I love that, eh? Hey, so Etu, let's all stand up. Um, this is the last thing I wanted to say to you. Um, your story is far from over, Right? <laughs> Um, I know some of you are in, I know some of you, wow, are in some really hard places at the moment, and I want to just remind you, um, maybe it's just chapter three at the moment of your life. <laughs> um, chapter eight is coming, chapter nine is coming, um, the blessing of God is coming. Um, God has not forgotten you, God's not forsaken you, he's not on vacation, he's not away. Um, God has you. Well, yeah, let me pray, and then we're going to. Carry on, yeah. Yeah, Almighty God, thanks that you really do have us. Um, I feel frustrated sometimes, often, 
that I don't understand the reason, the reason for hard times and struggles and things like that. Um, but I thank you so much that, um, I don't know, for me anyway, it's in those times that I have to trust you more, depend on you more, reach out to you more, God. Um, yeah, again, I just pause eh, and, and really call out to you for people uh, listening on the podcast or here at church this morning that are in a hard time. And it really does feel like a, a chapter three. It just feels like everything is against them. And shouldn't there be some blessing? And where's the hand of God? And what's going on? And bad things said about them and decrees written against them like we see in there. I don't know. Um, I just really pray that through your spirit you would remind them that, man, there's, there's good stuff coming. You have them. You are not away from them. You are close to them, God. Um, yeah, I... I just really pray too for heaps of us that, that maybe misunderstand that verse sometimes, that we, we kind of judge you in a sense where we're like, oh, I thought you were going to bring good into my life, but at the moment I'm in a hard place. Where's this good you talk of? Um, and yeah, there's many times in, in our lives where you do bring that, that blessing, um, but so often the blessing you want to bring, bring is a closer relationship with you. It's a more of us becoming like Jesus Christ, a greater understanding of your word, a greater understanding that you do have us, that you're holding us, that you've got us, God. Yeah. And thanks that there's a lot more to come in this book. Thanks that um, the story of Mordecai and Esther is not over, and thanks that for us, heaps of us here, hey, our story's not over, far from over, and there's amazing things that you want to do uh, in us and through us, God. Yeah, I pray that you'll give us good eyes to see your hand of blessing in our lives. Um, help us to default not to coincidence or our own awesomeness, but to default to seeing your hand of blessing in our lives. Yeah. Yeah, I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.